welcome back to What the HR Podcast. I'm Jesse Novi, an HR business partner with CH Robinson. And I'm Mike Toole, HR technology consultant with SAP SuccessFactors. Welcome back to another episode of What the HR. Today, we're joined by Ryan Leak. Ryan is an author, speaker, executive coach, and podcaster. He's known for two documentaries, The Surprise Wedding and Chasing Failure. Ryan is a son of a preacher man that grew up in the church with a marketplace passion. Today, Ryan's career is split 50% speaking in churches and 50% doing executive coaching and speaking in corporate America through his company, The Ryan Leak Group, LLC. Ryan also resides in... um, Dallas, Texas, with his wife, Amanda, and his children, Jackson and Roman. I was so excited that Ryan agreed to be a uh, a guest on our podcast today. We talked um, on a couple of different topics, but mainly on risks and his most recent book called Chasing Failure, specifically discussing the distance between our dreams and our realities and how that can be kind of intimidating, why people are afraid to fail, and how we can really be a steward of the gifts that we've been given. We also talk about the topic of being um, unoffendable. And when I asked Ryan about this, um, he gave me an answer and a story that I didn't anticipate. And um, it ended up being quite a treat. And we ended up uh, talking on some topics that we hadn't planned to, but I'm so glad that um, those topics ended up coming up. So I know that you are going to love Ryan and his passion and enthusiasm as much as Mike and I did. If you're enjoying our guests and our podcast episodes, please do us a huge favor, head out to your favorite podcast platform, leave us a rating and review. Those reviews and those ratings really help to ensure that our podcast episodes are getting out in front of others who can benefit from our guests and our podcast topics. As always, thank you so much for being a listener and enjoy this episode. All right. Well, Ryan, welcome to the What the HR podcast. We're really pleased to have you as our guest today. Yeah, it is an honor to be here. Yeah, before you know, we jump into our topics for you today, we did a more formal introduction of you at the beginning of the podcast, but would love for you to be able to introduce yourself personally to our listeners, share a little bit about yourself, um, what you kind of specialize in, and a little bit about your book. Chasing fear. Yeah, that's yeah, that's awesome. Well, a couple of things about me: I'm a, a speaker, author, and executive coach. Uh, I get to work with companies, nonprofits, NBA athletes, uh, influencers, C-suite executives all around the world. Uh, I consider it a privilege every day when I wake up. It's 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 never a dull moment. I'll say that. And so, uh, and I I just I try to wake up every day and try and create encouraging content for uh, any and all audiences that I get an opportunity to speak to. I do about 120 events per year, uh, speak to almost 300 to 350,000 people a year. And so uh, I'm a busy guy, but at the end of the day, I just kind of see myself as just a dad and a husband that just happens to get on planes quite a bit. (laughs) So, um, you know, one of the things that I realized um, especially over the last two years. And I don't know how I, how I didn't see this pre-pandemic. But one of the things I've noticed is like, whenever I, I sit with people, uh, I used to get really intimidated by important people, right? I used to be like, oh my gosh, like, what am I going to say to this person? But then I realized like, they're just a dad or they're just a mom 
or they're just they're they they really do have regular issues just like just like I do and so the, the more I started leaning into um, my personal life the more I realized how many people were trying to hide their personal life in order to try and get business done but then I just started being like well, what if what if things in your personal life were solid wouldn't you like do so much more better work and so so I just I just kind of started like going there. I started like talking about like marriage and like some of my business conferences. And like I remember the first time I did it, it was like, Ryan, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't do it. I mean, problem was I had so many friends that got divorced during the pandemic. And and inevitably it either caused them to have to get a second job or quit their current job, or it it, it shifted things for them. And so I thought, how can I not talk about this? Because this is like, this is this is a this is a thing. They've been stuck with this person while trying to be effective on a Zoom in the other room. <laughs> Except once they get off that Zoom, something else is they're gonna have to go into another room. And if they don't have the tools to help them deal with that, well, the next time they get on Zoom, they won't be as effective. And so, so anyways, I just uh, I just started kind of diving into to some of the the personal things that uh, I know um, a lot of people can struggle with. And so I just uh, I just like to to help people with their problems. And I found that people always have. Them. So anyways, that's a little bit about me in a nutshell. Oh, my book. Yes. Uh, I, wrote, I wrote a book called Chasing Failure. Uh, I went on this journey of failure probably six, seven years ago where uh, I played basketball my whole life and would always go to NBA games and, and think about what it would be like to be in the NBA, but never tried. So I just went on this crazy journey of just being like, you know, what? why are we so afraid of failure? You know, it's just like, it's just failure. It's, it's like, who, who told us that it's like going to end our life? You know, like who told us that it's going to end our career or it's going to, you know, and I just, I said, man, you know, let's, let's just go for it. Let's just see what failure has for me. And I call it failure school. I went to failure school and I just learned lots of lessons in the process. And so um, I studied failure, uh, other people's failures, a little bit of my own. And I just kind of have an attitude that just, uh, consistently likes to try new things, and I actually enjoy uh, enjoy fail, failing because uh, every time I fail, uh, I learn something new. And so, uh, if I do 100, 120 events a year, uh, people will be surprised. I have to try something new every single time just to see, just to see what works. You know, it's so I'm I'm always refining. I've never arrived, and so. Uh, so that's what the book's about. It, it helps people kind of bounce back and, and see failure in a different light, give you some lessons that I've learned from from failing a lot and, and watching other people do the same. Really quick, because I've, as I mentioned before, we even hit record, like I, I had heard you speak and I remember still you saying that you learn more from chasing failure than chasing success. Yeah. And I'd love, you don't have to tell the whole story, but I'd love to just just kind of the cliff notes of, how far you did get chasing that <laughs> MBA dream and put it into perspective of like what you yeah. accomplished chasing <laughs> failure. Well, yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because here, here are the rules when it comes to the MBA, uh, you need to go to a D one school or you need to play overseas. Those are your options. You know, you, 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 or, or you get incredibly lucky. That's the only way you're going to make an MBA, an MBA squad. So for me, as a motivational speaker that went to a, a, a barely D3 school, there, there was really no real hope for me in the first place. But 
Uh, did, I just started emailing NBA teams, their their public relations directors, and just saying, "Hey, I, I I'm doing a documentary called Chasing Failure, and, and I think you should give me an opportunity to work out for your basketball team. I'll probably fail, but what if I don't? So uh, the only way we'll find out is is if you let me try. So uh, the Boston Celtics was the first team I reached out to. They said no. And it was like, well, yeah, you know, like, why would they say yes? And and it really hurt that they said no. I don't know why I just felt this massive rejection, like they owed me something, like I was entitled <laughs> to work play for their team or something. But I took it personally, and I was just like, I can't believe they told me no. And then I thought, but man, that's there's some lessons there, you know, like what? What if, what if I get told no by all 30 NBA teams? Like, that's actually pretty powerful. It's actually... Man, what, what would people, wouldn't people be curious of what I learned about being rejected by all 30 NBA teams? And like, what if I wrote a book about it? What if I made a documentary about it? So I actually got pretty excited about getting rejected, except on my fifth email to the Phoenix Suns, they said, come on Monday. And I was like, you've lost your mind. Like, why? Like, there's no way you said yes, but they did. So I get on a plane and I go to Phoenix and, and got, got a workout of a lifetime. And, and I failed. And I remember being on that court completely embarrassed and, you know, I'm 6'3", 205 pounds. I went from being like the typical tallest person in the room to the shortest person in the room. Uh, I used to feel like I was the youngest person in the room. And then I all of a sudden became the oldest person in the room and I was 27 at the time. It was just like, what in the world is going on? And so I remember there was, I was running at one point and I was it was clear that I was not going to make the team that that was starting to become apparently obvious. And I had my head down and my, my guys filming and, and I keep, you know, running past, or I should say limping past this logo. And it was the Phoenix Suns logo. And I was like, man, how in the world did you get here? You know, it's like a lot of places you could be on a Monday afternoon, but man, you're, you're you're in the Phoenix Suns practice court. And that was when I realized, like, man, chasing failure has taken me further than chasing success ever did. And and so I, you know, we made a documentary about that. And then that led to an opportunity to start working for NBA teams. And then that, that led to uh, starting to get an opportunity to make an impact on NBA players. And, and things just evolved. And I think about it, like, in hindsight, it's like, yeah, NBA teams, they don't they don't let motivational speakers travel for the basketball team from convincing emails. But I did learn that every now and then they, they make an exception. And I think that's, that's where people really get like hung up is they use phrases like, that's just not me, or that's just not how it's done. That's just not us. To which I just kind of go, well, why? Why, why not? What? You just think about like companies right now that are going above and beyond for their employees and their talent retention is through the roof. Nobody quits. Well, why? Because somebody had said, well, we don't like those rules. So who says that we can't pay for childcare for our working mothers who are trying to figure out how to work from home? Who said, is that a law? Is it a, is it illegal? Actually, it's not illegal. (laughs) You just have to value it. And so it's just like, why do you think someone would leave? What mom doesn't want to go work for their company? You just start thinking about it. Does that make sense? So, but it's like, yeah, that's just not how it's done. 
yeah, yesterday, but today's a new day. And so I just love to encourage people to start thinking outside the box. And, uh, and so, yeah, so it's, it's amazing what one little documentary has, has led to in terms of, um, just opportunities just to, just to, to make an impact. I discovered there's more than one way to be in the NBA. And so, uh, because I used to be so small-minded. That's the other thing that Chase and Failure taught me. It was like, oh, for me to be an NBA, that means I have to play. Well, I, I don't think that way anymore. So now, like, even when I'm talking to kids, it's just like, hey, how many of you want to be in the NFL? I'm talking to a football team. And, and you know, if you're talking to a whole, you say, a college team, well, all of them are in Which one of them doesn't want to be in the NFL? If you don't want to be in the NFL, I'd be surprised if you were even in the locker room. Okay, everyone raise your hand. Hey, statistically speaking, that's not going to happen. One of you, maybe two of you would be absolutely ridiculous if it happened. But what if you had some tools that like added value to an NFL team that went beyond tackling somebody or throwing or catching or running? And now it's just like, well, what do you mean? Like I could do something that, yeah, you could. You just, you just gotta go for it. You, you just, you, so it's just, it's just a different level just a different level of thinking, I think that uh, that chasing failure has has given me. So, so yeah, I took an L in Phoenix, but I've also taken some W's <laughs> because of that big L. So, so yeah, I, I tell people like, yeah, you just you got to keep going, you got to keep trying stuff, and it's okay to get it wrong because sometimes that's the only way to get it right. When you were giving your intro, Ryan, you talked about that you are somebody who enjoys taking risks. And yes. I would say, and and maybe this has been over time, maybe you haven't always been like this, but mm-hmm. I think about the majority of people, and I'm going to draw some of my own conclusions here, that most people are risk adverse 100%. financially, you know, in their work environment, interest yeah. in starting up a business, whether it's because of how we were raised, our environments, the, the corporate environments yep. in which many of us have worked. So, you know, given that our podcast is relatively HR focused, most of our listeners right. or most of our listeners are HR professionals in some capacity. Yeah. What would you say to our listeners about cultures that are either very risk adverse and therefore not mm-hmm. innovative or say that they aren't risk adverse, but don't necessarily, their, their actions don't speak as loud as their words. Yeah. Well, here, here's what I would say. And I don't know that this is encouraging. It might be, I, I think it might help break the paradigm a little bit. Um, it's all risky. There is, there is no version of your company that isn't risky. And so some people think, oh, if I'm risk adverse, and I just stay in this corner and we just do the status quo and we just do the standard, we'll be safe. Guess what? They're still going to leave. Okay. So your safety isn't all that safe because you weren't willing to try new things. Well, guess what? The people that are trying new things, some people are going, you know what? This isn't consistent. I, I need, I like the standard and I want, and then, and then they're going to leave. So, so, You're not going to ever be a one size fits all for anybody. What I like to encourage people to do isn't make a decision if you're going to be risky or standard. Uh, You need to make a decision about are you going to create a work environment that you and other people enjoy? You actually enjoy working there. Have you created an environment? Are, Are the benefits actually 
beneficial for the actual employees. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of organizations that say, uh, you tell us what's beneficial for you. Do you need health insurance? If you're already covered by your husband's insurance, hey, would you like us to reroute these other benefits to something else that matters to you? Well, that's not standards. This is not how we do things. But imagine if you had that conversation. Well, well now, now you, you stand out. Does that mean? So, so there's, there are different ways of doing things that, you know, I, I think a lot, a lot of people are just going, man, it's just, it just feels risky. I'm like, well, you're actually taking a risk by not taking a risk. So there, there's actually no version of what you're doing that actually isn't risky. I talk, I talk about this with parents all the time. Oh, I don't like, I don't like what's happening in the education system right now. I, I, I'm, I'm going to put little Johnny in private school. You ever met a private school kid? Entitled. It's risky. Oh, we're going to homeschool. You ever met a homeschool kid? It's all risky. There's no version. There's, you think you're going to put them in this safe haven. I'm going to send them to boarding school. We're going to send them to the military. Like all of those people have come back from institutions like that. And we've gone, oh, that was, it's all risky. At some point, I think we've got to go, are we being who we actually want to be? And are we going to enjoy it? If it's going to be public school, we'll enjoy going to public school. Hey, 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 be a good parent. Hey, if it's private school, hey, be a good parent. It, it really, it, it, it's all risky. So I think part of it is getting into the mindset of saying, hey, the corner isn't as safe as we think it is. And, and neither is bungee jumping. It, it, it's we're, we're always taking a risk in one way or another. Yeah. I, it's a great paradigm shift because you're right. There's risk in everything. And I think we, we assume status quo is there's no risk. So I'm curious when you do work with some of your clients or, or parents or anybody, when we, when they understand that, that there is risk in everything we do and there's risk in things that we don't do, is there anything you've learned along the way or that you suggest people understand whether it's about themselves or about the risk that they should consider maybe before taking the risk? Like, how do I prepare to do something, you know, yeah. to step outside my comfort zone or, or what may help me through it? Yeah. One of the things I, I write about in the book a little bit is beneath the fear of failure is the fear of shame and embarrassment. That's really, that's really what we're talking about. It's it's going, what are people going to think about me when this doesn't go as well as I wanted it to? That's really what we're we're up against. We are really trying to uh, make an impression with certain groups of people, whether we're, we like to admit it or not. All of us have a different group. You may have a very different group than, than I did. I heard a story once about, about Ted Turner. I don't know if it's true because I don't know Ted personally. However, uh, the writer said that when Ted Turner discovered that he was a billionaire, I believe a CPA came into his office and said, Hey, Ted, why did you know you, you just crossed the billionaire mark story was told that he slammed his fist on his desk and said the words, are you proud of me now, dad? Just think about that for a minute. Just think about that. All of us have somebody we're trying to show. I'm, I'm going to show, I'm going to show you. And sometimes it's people we went to middle school with that we're hoping they're watching somewhere lurking in the LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter, Instagram universe, watching us from afar and that they have envy for 
Sometimes it's college classmates. Sometimes we're trying to prove something to a coach or a professor that didn't think that our paper was like, we all have that thing. And when we fail, we think, oh, they, they were right. And, and that's what I, I try to encourage people to deal with. So the phrase I like to use a lot is failure is an event. It's not an outfit. Don't wear it. It's not who you are. It's something that happened. But the biggest mistake that somebody can make when they try something and it fails is to get to the conclusion that, oh, well, I'm a failure. Whoa, 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 whoa. we have now taken failure way too far. No, you failed. Duh. You are not a failure. And so, so I think that that's, people have to realize it's not, it's not a, um, it's not an identity thing. It's not indicative of, um, you know, it, it was a grade. It's not a, an attribute mm-hmm. of your personality. Yeah. And so that, that's what I try to encourage people with to say, Hey, it's, it's so it's okay. Like, this isn't who you are. This is just something that happened. And in fact, you were willing to do something that everybody else wasn't, which makes you special. So. Uh, Just to kind of branch off of that, Ryan, one of the things I've heard you talk about, um, and I quote, is how to become unoffendable. Yes. And I like you to talk about this a little bit more because I think aligned with shame and guilt associated with failure. I think people are easily offended, like, Very. and, and you, 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 there has to be a way outside of that feeling in yeah. order to succeed, because yeah. if you're easily offended, then you're likely to, you know, take a left turn too fast away from the success yeah. that might be in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. So the book I wrote before chasing failure is actually called unoffendable. Uh, I wrote it in 2015 in response to um, the increased conversations around race. Um, I have a ton of black friends and a ton of white friends. I'm married to a Puerto Rican. My kids are a conglomerate of a lot of nations. And so I find myself not necessarily being a Bill Bridger, I do like building bridges. I actually have found myself standing in the middle of a bridge at times, trying to talk to two parties to get them to agree on something or to, um, I feel like I'm somewhat of a peacemaker or mediator in a lot of conversations. And so in, in 2015, there was a national conversation happening around diversity and race issues. And, and a lot of white friends who felt like no matter what they would say, it was going to be offensive to their black friend. And so, and then I had black friends who were saying many things and they felt like nobody was listening. But part of the issue was anytime the other one would talk, the other one would get offended. Um, My black friends were getting offended that white people didn't understand them. My white friends were getting offended that they were assumed to be racist without having a conversation. And so, so there was lots of just like offense, 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 offense. And I just went, well, sometimes what political correctness does is it just makes people quieter. Doesn't actually make them more correct. They just get silent and they go to their silos and they just 
well, my life's easier. I'll just cut those people off who didn't take time to have a conversation, which I think is a mess. I think it's a bad way to do relationships personally and professionally. So this idea of being unoffendable is simply going, you know what? I'm, I'm willing to, to have slower conversations and I'm going to give the other person a little bit of the benefit of the doubt that maybe they just had a completely different upbringing than me. So why would they see it the same way? And maybe there's something I can learn from them and maybe there's something that they can learn from me. So um, with a lot of my white friends, um, I started using the phrase, Hey, um, I, I, I'm unoffendable right now. And I just want to be a safe space. What's the question you wish you could ask black people that you're afraid to ask them because you're afraid of sounding like a racist. And so if my black friends and black people heard their questions they would be livid but once i once i heard the questions and had created that safe space it was some of the most powerful conversations that i think i've ever had and so and and but because i set the table for saying hey this isn't a, a right and wrong conversation i want to know what your actual questions are rather than us pretending and so I think being unoffendable is about saying, hey, all right, let me put my let me put my biases down. Let me put down even my upbringing just for a moment to really be able to hear and understand the complex issues that we have to deal with day in and day out. And so me cutting you off or me canceling you, well, that creates some very interesting math. And that interesting math is if you say, or do something that I don't like or something I disagree with or something I take offense to, that means, well, I get to cut you off. I get to cancel you. I'm done with you. However, if I say something that offends you, my the math for me is, well, hey, 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 give me a break. Right. I was going through a lot. <laughs> I had COVID. My kids were were wilding out. Dude, I'm having some marriage issues. Man, we had some restructuring at our... Give me a break for my behavior, but I can cancel you for yours. And so what I encourage people to do with unoffendable, with the unoffendable mindset is go, okay, what you know about you is that behind the scenes, your life is complicated. And because of your complications, therefore you are who you are and you said what you said and you post what you post, given your complications. But what you don't know is the person that you're mad at, their complications and their story. So why don't you give them the benefit of the doubt that you wished they were giving you had they known all that you were going through and you're behind the scenes. And so some of this work, some of this unoffendable work is really stepping back and going, I bet there's more to their story than what they posted. And I think some of even the verbiage that we have in the social media space of, hey, did you see their story? We actually believe that that was actually the whole story. Mm-hmm. It was 15 seconds. <laughs> 15 seconds. And in 15 seconds, it's amazing the amount of conclusions we can make about someone's actual story when we know that it's actually not 
their story. Mm-hmm. And so, so anyway, so I think, I think being, being unoffendable is, is not about a person that is impervious to being offended. Being unoffendable is about choosing to be a person that doesn't stay offended. In other words, I can feel some type of way about something that you said, but I don't know that I, I don't know that I have to stay there. I'd actually rather talk to you about it so that we can move on rather than just emotionally or from a cerebral standpoint, dismiss you mm-hmm. and say, I'm just not, I'm just never going to talk to them again. I'm just going, I, I just don't think that that's a healthy way to live. I think it can go, Hey, you said this, can I get some clarity on this? I just, I just want to give you some context. Hey, as a person of color, here's what that sounds like to me. And so um, I did a speaking engagement the other day on a plantation. Okay. It was on a plantation and for this white owner of the definition of a plantation is uh, simply a structure in which things are planted and people work on it. Mm-hmm. That is the definition of a plantation. It is not. If I have a plantation, I am for slavery. Mm-hmm. That's not what plantation means. However, the connotation, especially for people of color and black people specifically is it can be a trigger word. Yeah. And so Again, being unoffendable, I believe, is going, all right, let, let's go a few layers deeper and go, hey, this person that owns a plantation, I don't have to make them a racist in my mind. I don't have to make them an enemy. However, because they're my friend, well, I actually could go, hey, I just, I just want you to know. The literal word plantation, it hits a little bit different in 2022 than maybe it did years ago when you bought it. Right. And so if I'm you, I'd call it a ranch. <laughs> yeah. If I'm you, I would that's just my friendly advice. Mm-hmm. My alternative was I could have snapped, ruined the gig, flipped the table. I can't believe. And perhaps some people, that's what you should have done. Really? That's what I should have done. And and now what kind of person does that make me now? Now I've turned into a person I never intended to be all because of a word. Amazing stuff. I think of it in the context of kind of our workforces and, and our offices. And over the last few years, how much people have emphasized creating safe spaces Mm-hmm. in all different areas so we don't offend anybody and you're kind of saying look it's not necessarily working on not offending people it's it's an it's a personal thing where we need to become unoffendable in order right. to move commerce it, it's very different than i i feel like what most people are trying to push and it if i'm being honest yeah. what people are pushing doesn't seem to be working uh very no. well in, in a lot of circumstances and i think this is there's no silver bullet, but right. this is a different approach that people could learn from. And I mean, listening yeah. to you talk about it, not only when you say, you know, ask me the questions that you really want to ask me when you ask your white friend that you're allowing yourself to now understand why do they have those questions and in what context it is. And, right. and those are the questions that ever people have. And it, it's, it's not just about race. It's, it's about culture. It's about 
business. It's about all these things, but people don't want to ask those questions because of the fear of, you know, how everybody's going to, to feel. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, have you worked with, and I know you do your speaking engagements, but have you, have you done a speaking engagement and then seen a customer or a company kind of implement that? And have you seen it like kind of the fruit of that labor? So, you know, I, I think that there's there's a couple of different things that I've I've seen some of my clients do as, as it pertains to um, whether it be um, having forums that allow people to have genuine conversations. Um, one of the things that I I like to to say when it comes to company culture, uh, don't think campaign. Think coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think too many people run to the, well, let's go hire this marketing team and let's just go get uh, some photos that obviously aren't yours of people you don't know that look mm-hmm. racially ambiguous. And we're going to get a, a mixed girl with curly hair with a black guy and a white guy in the background and we want to get young and it it's we know what you're doing <laughs> we we know you didn't take the picture and guess what we know you're not in the picture that's actually not indicative of you as a person and so the reason i say think coffee not campaigns i think where things change is, is over meals mm-hmm. it's where we break bread together and go, man. So tell me, tell me your story. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to assume it. And, and I do this with black people as a black person because uh, we're we're not, we don't all have the same black story. And so I don't even, I don't want to assume. Oh man, it must have been hard for you. Well, actually, it may not have been hard for him. Okay. Um, and so. Um, I, I had I had someone reach out to me who was being as kind as they possibly could. Uh, they said, man, I'm just so sorry. And I was like, for what? Right. And they were like, and again, they were trying to do the right thing. Right. But this just showed me what culture has taught people. They said, man, I just, I didn't have to, my dad didn't, didn't have to give me the police talk growing up. And I'm just so sorry that you had to endure that growing up of being told like, okay, when you get pulled over, you know, you put your keys up and don't, don't do anything too crazy. And, and I'm just sitting there thinking like, man, that, that is a lot of my black friend's story, except it's actually not mine. I did not grow up being afraid of the police mm-hmm. at all. I did grow up speeding. And I did get pulled over a lot. I never feared for my life once until 2015. 2015, but but again, somebody taught me to be afraid. I wasn't because I was actually afraid. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And so yeah. it's going. It, it's it's like assuming that everyone, a part of the LGBTQIA plus community all hang out and, and have meetings to sort of conspire against the rest of the world. It's like, guys, it's actually not right. <laughs> this case. But again, you can just, 
I think we long to put people in boxes because then if we can just understand the box, we can copy and paste, except it's just not how humans work. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't actually fit in your box. And so I think, I think coffee over campaigns is massive because it, it'll, it makes you sit down with people and they go, I'm just going to remain curious here and not assume that I know that it's, that your story is hard or hard as I think it is, or my black story is hard in a different way. It's just that people rarely ask why. Sure. Yeah. And so so I I always just tell people you should lean on, lean on the side of empathy. And so what I've seen some companies do is they uh, basically forced a lot of their uh, management to say, Hey, your one-on-ones for the next quarter aren't reviews. They're just lunches. Mm -hmm. Because I I think you're always going to be a better leader when you've got a better pulse. And typically when I talk to leaders about the pulse of their organization, they pull out a survey, which just makes me laugh. (laughs) It it, it literally cracks me up. Um, So if, 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 if the pulse of your organization is based off the survey, you haven't sat with somebody in a long time. Yeah. So you, you need to sit with flesh and blood, I would say, and it doesn't matter the color of their skin or their religious preferences or their gender preferences, or I just, I think there is something about sitting with another human and it not being a data point to say, well, the data tells us, it's just like, Mm -hmm. well, what are your humans telling you? And being able to hear them out and for them to feel like their voice matters, not through a digital platform, but through a cup of coffee. So the other thing I've seen um, one of my clients asked me, they said, Hey, we, we, we want to do something about diversity, equity, and inclusion in, in, in our city beyond just hiring more people of color. Um, and they're uh, closer to like an engineer type of company, which a lot of people of color don't, that's not their typical choice of education is going, okay, I'm going to go kind of do kind of more of a nerdy type job. Mm-hmm. And so I, I told him, I said, well, part of that is just exposure. You know, a lot of people in lower income neighborhoods where there is predominantly people of color, like they don't know that there's other options besides entertainment, athletics, and, you know, or rapping. <laughs> and so, uh, so what I've seen them do is they partnered with schools and um, the ISDs, the school districts around their home offices. And they've done some, uh, I think they call them, they're not job fairs, but I forget the name of what they call the event, but basically they go and teach math and science as professionals. And if they stick with it, they'll actually give them scholarships to be able to go to a school and then give them an internship and then hire them. So what they're doing is, is they're, they're not thinking about what life looks like for them in 2022. They're thinking about what life looks like for them in 2035. Right. To say, okay, we can make a difference now, but it starts at a very early age for kids just knowing that things can be different. Like at the beginning of this podcast, I talked about thinking about the NBA through the lens of not just playing, but working for an organization and adding value. Well, that's just a mindset shift that in my neighborhood growing up, no one ever said that. No one ever, it was either you have to be able to do a 360 dunk or you're going to be a loser the rest of your life. Those right. are your options. And so I went, okay, let me try and go do a 360, you know, but I wish someone earlier would have said, well, actually, there's a lot of other ways to add value to not just an NBA team, but a lot of companies that you could have a very successful career in something else. Yeah, 
I wish I would have learned that, right? I, I grew up thinking I needed to be a professional hockey player or a baseball player. And I, I, I still, and I look back now, I'm like, I wish I would have worked in those organizations. So, I mean, it's, everybody feels that way, I think. And just highlighting that, right. There's so many yeah. different ways to be in the NBA. I think that's really cool. Jess, were yeah. you going to ask a question? Um, sort of, I was going to more kind of make a statement of, you know, when I had asked the question about, um, how to become unoffendable, Ryan, I would never have imagined that that was the example that you were going to use. And I'm, I'm so glad that that is the example that you used. Yeah. And I, um, in all transparency, didn't realize that you had written that book prior to your current book or that it's a topic that you've spoke on yeah. quite a bit. But as I was sitting there listening to your story and the stories of others, and then bringing it back to kind of the original topic, which is, you know, risk and failure, the, the common theme that's coming out of both of these topics is really seeing people and, mm -hmm. and not jumping to conclusions or drawing your own assumptions. And I, I think about it through the lens of if I bring an idea to my team and maybe it seems far-fetched because it's uh, not a part of our culture, the way that we do things, we're thinking outside the box. And if, if I, a participant in this meeting, immediately I'm like, and I think you use these terms earlier, Ryan, like we don't do things that way or that's not mm -hmm. us. If I immediately come forward with that thought process, then I've already shut it down. I've already maybe made this person feel bad about mm -hmm. thinking outside the box or bring, bringing a creative idea to the table. And that's also the case when we're having really thoughtful conversations with somebody that comes from a different background than us, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, I didn't really have a question. I was just kind of creating a linkage that was happening mm -hmm. in my head between yeah. risk and failure, being open-minded when it comes to having, you know, conversations that might feel tough or uncomfortable or conversations we haven't had before. Yeah. Well, what, one of the things that I do as uh, organizations and teams is I do an Enneagram workshop. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Enneagram. It's a personality assessment deal that I got certified in probably four or five years ago. And the reason I did was because um, I was at a place in my life, I think in 2017, I was just kind of stuck professionally. I didn't know go left or right. I didn't really know what, uh, what direction I wanted to go in. And a friend of mine said, Hey, have you heard of the Enneagram? And I was like, no, he was like, we'll read this book. And so I, I read it on the way home um, on the airplane and it was so interesting that it was like, oh, I, I felt like I understood myself for the first time. I felt like I understood my wife uh, for the first time. And, and so having done this workshop with a few thousand people now, I'm amazed at what I see happen because every single workshop, somebody in that room that was misunderstood gets understood. For the first time, mm -hmm. somebody goes, "I didn't, dude. I didn't. I, I totally. I get that now. I, I. So okay, I get now when I reply. Oh, why that frustrates you specifically? I get it. I didn't. So what happens is the self awareness comes in the room, and then empathy for other people to say, okay, I get, I get why why we do that, but." The reason I love like what you guys do, the reason I love like 
the very term HR is human resources. And that human piece, we, we can't create so much structure that we lose the human part of human resources. And so I, I think that it's important that we realize that we're always going to be taking risks. Sometimes it's not on a strategy. It's on a person. And I think what keeps me going is the fact that I know that someone has always taken a chance on me. And I feel like I'm a risky person. I'm a risk. But guess what? Hundreds of companies have taken a chance on me to say, yeah, we'll, we'll bring him in. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll hire him. Yeah, we'll have him do this workshop. And they've done so when they've had other candidates that were more qualified and more seasoned. But they've like, you know, oh, he's a little younger. He's different. Well, let's go for it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's worked out. And so I, I've, I've tried to honor their risk. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's I, like I said at the beginning, I, I think it's all risky. There's, there's yeah. no version of it that isn't. So really quick, just I want to step back for the failure piece. Like oftentimes, and by the way, we did an Enneagram podcast. Um, Sweet. Yeah. So, so I, that's the first time I had learned about it. So it's cool to hear that reinforced. Um, but we always try to leave people with something applicable that they can go and implement like right away, you know, because mm. there are so many thought leaders out there. A lot of it is 40,000 foot views and you're like, okay, I get it, but how do I do it? So I'm curious when we talk about chasing failure, obviously I don't think we're talking about walking into your CEO and <laughs> throwing water in his face, right. Or her face, right. like, you know, so yeah. there, there, is, is there something to like, do you advise people like take a small, go for small failures first, mm-hmm. like, you know, kind of get, get that feeling of, of failure. And like, can, do you know what I'm asking there? I do. How, I do. Do, I, how do I exercise my failure muscles? Yeah. I, I think I'm, I'm a big proponent of writing things down. When it, when it stays up here, what happens is it just floats. And so you've got, 20 ideas that you've had in the last year that you've actually talked yourself out of even trying. But if I asked you what they were, you wouldn't be able to tell me. But if I asked you to go home and write them down, well, you'd have a chance. If I told you to put them in an Excel spreadsheet, well, now we're getting somewhere. (laughs) And so I, I think there's, there's, there's so much power in in writing down some of those things, um, I would even call it a this isn't us list. Hey, what are all the things that people have brought up or you thought of and you just thought this ain't this isn't us? This isn't me. Yeah, I, just write them all down. Just just write them all down. And and honestly, just look at it. Mm-hmm. Like to me, you even taking that step of just going, are we really that stiff? And you're saying that this just isn't us. We're just going, well, there may not be in us if you don't do anything. Right. <laughs> and yeah. so you, you, we're going to have to change. And so if you have 20 things that you could write down where you're saying this isn't us, you're not going to try one of them. Give me mm-hmm. one. And I'm not talking about stuff that costs a million dollars. However, I, 
the top companies in the world have this thing called research and development budgets, which means they earmark the billions of dollars every single year to do what? To fail. Right. <laughs> Say, hey, yeah. we're good. But the, that is the only way forward. And they know that. When you're a smaller company, it's hard to believe that. But they're big for a reason. It's because they, they earmark it. Even yeah. I have a small company and we earmark a certain amount of money for research and development. And so I'm all for just some small things, but but you'd be surprised how many how many ideas people talk themselves out of are free. Yeah. It, they're just uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. What it costs them isn't money. What it costs them sometimes is it the ego or bravery. Yeah. And so um, I, I'm just, I'm a proponent of, hey, writing down some things from the past to say, hey, what are some things that we just kind of talked myself out of? And that that's where I would start. I okay. could say like 20 other things, but I don't want to convolute that 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 one exercise yeah. and I forget it. So, yeah. Would you, would you even take it maybe a step prior, Ryan? I know I've heard you talk about being, um, you know, a steward of the gifts that you were given, which I love. I love that. And I think about, you know, whether I'm applying this and I'm a corporate person, or maybe I'm applying it because there's always the side hustle or this business that I've always wanted to start. Do you think it's a good exercise to start with what you believe are your gifts first and your, and your talents, and then from there kind of build out the desires or the wants based on those gifts? Yeah. So in, in my book, I have a, uh, a chapter called Never Give Up-ish. Never Give Up-ish is all about what you just said, because I think telling a thousand people in a room to never give up is actually irresponsible. No, I, I, I actually think where you can find a lot of success is knowing when to give up. Some people just keep trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and trying. And they do that till they're 80. And it's just like, no, you, you, some people are wannabe entrepreneurs. They're not naturally wired for, for that. They're not gifted in that. It would take a great deal of work for them to get there. A lot of unwiring, rethinking. And no, some people, you need a nine to five. You need a leader. You need a job, you need a boss, you need a CEO, you need someone else to tell you what to do, when to go right, when to go left, when to sit, when to jump, when to email, you need a project manager, you need oversight, you need orders. I'm an entrepreneur. You, no one ever has had to try and get me to go work. Like, if anything, I have the opposite problem. Okay, people in my life are like, do you need? to work less. Okay. You need to chill out. Well, I'm an entrepreneur and I have a natural engine that enjoys working. So um in Never Give Up Ish, it, it's it's a chapter all about going, all right, knowing when to give up and understanding your sweet spot. And so I think your sweet spot is where your passions, which passion is going, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? Some people can't answer that question, but if you can, it's great. All right, here's what I want to do. Uh, two, uh, what am I good at? Am I actually gifted to do that? Um, I know people who um, are passionate about singing. They're just not good at it. And so you you kind of want both, okay? Um, I, I know people who are good at singing. just not passionate about it. 
you see how it, it's yep. you can be in a spot, but it's it's sweet when when you're good at it and you want to be. <laughs> okay, you right. like you got a passion there. The third piece um, is is anyone asking you to sing? You have opportunities to sing. Are are doors being open for you to do the thing that you love and are good at? So if you're being so so for me, um, I have a passion to write. Uh, I believe I have a gift to to write. Uh, that's not verified by me. Other people go, "What do when you wrote this? I loved it." Okay, that's a sign. Um, and I was given a book deal from a major publisher. Well, the, the, it, it checks three boxes. Does that make sense? It, it's uh, I love speaking. People continue to invite me to speak. That is a little bit of an indication that I'm decent at doing so. So, and, and the fourth, the fourth piece um, isn't can you make money doing it? I guess someone would say that's a sweet, sweet spot. I think the fourth thing for me is. And do I feel like God put me on the planet to do it? Do I feel like what it, what I, do I feel like this thing has purpose, that it has meaning, it's going to add value to somebody else's life? I think when it checks all of those boxes, I think it's worth going for, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not for chasing foolishness. Like, mm-hmm. like you said, like we're, we're just, we're going to go fail on purpose. No, no, no. The chasing failure attitude is about saying, you know what? I'm not going to let failure dictate our movement. I'm not going to let my fear of failure keep me from trying new things. No, I'm willing to bet there's something that we can learn here, even if it doesn't go well. But I think our employees will respect us to know like, hey, we're trying to look at this a little bit bit different. One of my buddies owns a company. Uh, His thing is, I need our employees' marriages to be doing well for them to give their best to our company. So uh, their company pays for counseling once a month. They have a counseling budget for every single employee. So if your marriage is failing, it ain't our fault. You can't blame us and say, oh, we're just working you too hard. And no, 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 we, we actually, he also said, man, I really want our, our people to feel like they can be as healthy as they possibly can be so that they change the snacks. You know, their whole foods out. They're like, hey, if you're gonna be unhealthy, we're gonna have to make it pretty hard for you to do so here. Uh pay for a gym budget. Honestly, when I look at that, I think, oh, that sounds beneficial. Like there's the, the, those are benefits. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? It's like, yeah, hey, here's the deal. You gotta spend money on something. You know, it's like you get it, you might as well spend it on the human resources that you have helping your company get. And so when they first did that, people were like, what, why, what? And now when they go work somewhere else, they're like, what do you mean? I got to go get my own gym membership. What, what are you? And, and they even said, Hey, if, if you already have your own gym membership that you like, we'll just give it to you in the form of a stipend and you can use it for whatever you want. It's like, I mean, I'm looking at both your faces right now. You're thinking, okay, where's the company? Where can I go? You know, it's like uh, immediate. And, and again, what are we, what are we, we're talking about a hundred bucks here, 200 bucks here. Like we're not, we're not talking 2 million. Now again, yeah, you do that. It's the larger company, obviously the, the, the bigger that cost can get. But again, if your company's that large, you're going to have big costs on everything. Right. So you might as well have it on something 
that makes people go, man, I, I actually really enjoy working here. Yeah. So be, before we tell everybody kind of how they can reach out to you and um, how they connect with you, I wanted to ask one last question because as I, I listened to this entire show, I, I kept thinking in HR, we've talked a lot about how they are kind of the glue of the organizations through COVID. And a mm-hmm. lot of HR professionals are getting burned out because of that, because they also need support. And I thought about it like halfway through, I was like, well, you're a motivational speaker. <laughs> you need support as well at some point. So I'm really yeah. curious, where do you go to get help with things that you help thousands and thousands of people every day? Yeah. So I I have a whole keynote on self-care and like, I, I think self-care is, is vitally important to a person's long-term effectiveness in any any organization so i do quite a few things for my own my own self-care you Mm -hmm. know i i have a we have a phrase at our company hey we we are going to work hard and we are going to play hard you know um i have i have some friends that built their dream home in their 80s and i was like why (laughs) (laughs) And they had the money to do so in their forties. Yeah, but they were spending so many decades to going. No, 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 no. We're we're going to penny pinch so that one day we can. And it's like, dude, you, like, no offense, but you don't got that much time left. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so for us, we're like, hey, we're going to be smart, but like, man, we we are going to go above and beyond for for our employees, and we're going to work our tails off, and and we're we're going to play hard. And so so for me, I I. uh I, I take care of myself in, in a lot. I mean, whether it's counseling, whether it's massages, whether it's vacations, whether it's, it's unplugging, um, whether it's just leaving my laptop in a far corner of my house and not opening it for a couple of days or, um, yeah, I think. What about about motivation? What about motivation? Like if you're lacking, if you're lacking motivation, where do you go? You know, I, I, that's a great question, you know, and, and to, to be, uh, and I don't want to end the podcast on like a downer, but like my mentor died from COVID. Oh, man, and so, so that, that was like a, that was like a, a just a, like just a blow. And yeah. that, that's a, that's a hole in my heart that's yet to be filled. That's a hole in my life that's, that's yet to be filled. And I wake up often going, man, I don't. I don't know who that next person is and I'm not in a rush to, to, to figure that out. And sometimes if I'm honest, sometimes I get on the stage deflated. Sometimes I, I get on the stage just um, like not ready. If that makes right. sense. Like, oh, yeah. I'm like some days I'm just like, I don't, I don't know if I, if I have it. Um, but then it, it, it takes about three minutes, three, three to five minutes for me to see that person. And I don't know what it is for me. And, and I was, I have a public job, so I, I'm constantly in front of people, but I, I'll just see that person that needs what I have to say more than I do. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's just, you yeah. know, it's, it's, it just, it just allows me to do that. And people, people are so kind. Man. People have sent me messages of just things that have just absolutely uh, change your life. And I've, I've never even met them, uh, which is, you know, when you speak to thousands of people at a time, like you really don't know. 
Okay. Like, is this working? Do people care? Do they, does it, you know, is it actually making a difference? And so I actually have a, a, a saved notes section in my notes on my phone of messages that like have made an impact. And I like going back and looking at that. It was like, man, this is why you keep getting on airplanes. You know, like this is, this is why you show up and, and, um, and I just, yeah. And sometimes like, I have lots of things that motivate me. I'm also athletic. And so like, sometimes if I feel disrespected or if I feel like somebody doesn't think I'm good, like that'll motivate me. It's just like, oh, I'm motivated now. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like, um, well, like if I'm like the last speaker at a conference and everyone's like leaving to try and like catch a flight, I'm like, yes. Like, I'm like about to crush this, you know? And then at the end, they're like, we're calling all our friends and going, you missed the best part of the conference. I'm like, oh, you, yes, you did miss the best part of the conference. <laughs> so it's like, so that that's it sometimes, man. But, you know, there's times where uh, one of my favorite quotes is by Glennon Doyle. She says, if you can't beat the fear, just do it scared. Sometimes mm-hmm. you don't get to beat the, beat the nerves. Um, I like to say, if in case you don't get the rest, just do it tired. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love in, that. In, in case you, you're not feeling motivated, sometimes you just do it unmotivated. Mm-hmm. You just keep, you just keep going. Yesterday I did this event and this will be my last story. It was just so funny. I, I brought my son with me and, and I've been bringing him more with me to some of my business trips and corporate engagements. And they said, Hey, you're going to start at nine 45. I said, that's, that's not a problem. I said, I just need to get my son situated backstage at nine 30 with his iPad, because I'm going to be on stage for an hour and he'll virtually have no supervision and he will push a speaker down. He's seven years old, like whatever. And so two things are happening at the same time at nine 31, they, they were ending early. And I'm like, literally, literally I had my son's iPad in my hand when I hear this trying to set up Wi-Fi. And that concludes our annual meeting. So people start getting up to leave. Okay. People are leaving the conference. He misspoke. He goes, and that concludes our annual meeting. And we've got one more speaker. Ladies and gentlemen, would you give it up for Ryan Lee? Hey, everybody. It's like, I mean, you just, and again, they would never know. Yeah, what like, was going on? They they would have no idea that they started early and that like my son's headphones are like hanging off his head and like, you know, all that. And so you just, yeah. So So I'm getting up there going like, I know what I'm going to say, but it's a, there's so many things that you just have to get past. Sometimes you don't have the opportunity to, to get past it before you, before you do it. And, you know, you make it through it. Some of our toughest days that we thought, we don't know how we're going to do it. We got to the other side of it. Right. How'd you get there? I don't know. Before Ryan shares um, where people can get in touch with them, there was just one thing that you said there, Ryan, that hit me. Um, That's also been incredibly beneficial in my life. You had talked about the notes section of your phone. Um, I I joke that my four years in college really taught me nothing except to maybe kind of become an adult (laughs) and like live on my own and like manage some finances. I don't really think there's anything I got from my college education that I apply to my day-to-day job today. 
but I had one, I had one very impactful professor in my life um, that I will remember forever. And one of the pieces of advice that she gave this particular group of students that I was fortunate enough to be a part of was create yourself what she called a happy file. And she was Mm -hmm. like, anytime you get a nice email, anytime somebody sends you a card, maybe you get like a certificate or an award for something that you you know, you did that made you stand out. And I did that like back in college. And so now I have this hat and I, I literally named it the happy file per her recommendation. And, um, probably every year to two years, I just open up my happy file and I go back through it and it's a Mm. walk down memory lane of the accolades, you know, that I've carried with me since being a graduate, um, and being in the professional world. So I just wanted to throw that out there because, if anyone's yeah, like hearing that. this, that feels like they could benefit from that. Um, I would highlight whether they do it on their notes phone or old school, like I do it in a manila file folder. I think that it can yeah. be really beneficial. That's awesome. Yeah. So share with our listeners, Ryan, where they can get your book, uh, where they can connect with you. Um, prior to recording um, the podcast, you had mentioned um, like a phone number for text yeah, messaging with you. Sure. you want to mention that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of ways that you can stay in contact with me or see more about some of the work that I do is one is ryanleak.com, R-Y-A-N-L-E-A-K.com. On there are a couple of documentaries that that we've done. We mentioned Chasing Failure. That's on there. You can buy the book on there as well. Um, Also on my website, you'll see uh, this button. It says text me. Um, I've got an app on my phone. It comes directly to my phone, just like a text message. And um, I send out an encouraging and an inspiring text message every single week to uh, a few thousand people. And so um, on that, you can actually text me back questions. And, you know, I, I try to answer as many as I possibly can. But, but that's a way that um, I like to, to stay in, in contact with, with people that I've encountered uh, from around the world. So, so you, can, you can text me uh, or you could check out any one of my social platforms. I'm at Ryan Lee just about everywhere. Thank you for listening to this episode of What the HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening through now. If you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor and share with your network, your boss, or your CEO. Help us get this podcast in front of anyone who wants to know what HR looks like when done well. Also, if you have any questions for show topics or people you'd like us to interview, please email Mike and I at podcast at tcsherm.org. That's podcast at tcsherm.org. If you want to find out more about Twin City Sherm or our upcoming events, please visit our website at tcsherm.org. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, if you're not already a member of Twin City Sherm, Please use code WHATTHEHR at checkout to receive $20 off your membership. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.